Good evening. You are listening to a Rattle of Jim Broadcasting premiere podcast, The Long Road to Ruin. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And tonight, yo, Joe, we are reviewing the two G.I. Joe movies, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, and G.I. Joe, no, uh, Retaliation, No Backseas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I might have wanted to reconsider that. Uh. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, joining me tonight first, my usual co-host for The Long Road to Ruin, Sean Comer. How do you do, sir? Howdy ho. And um, also joining us here, he, he contacted me. He was like, hey, 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 I got to get in on this action. Ladies and gentlemen, you just heard him on the Right Stuff podcast. He's back again. Mr. David Wright. How do you do, sir? I'm doing good. I am very much not Sean. <laughs> no, he, he's Ooh. Sean. You're not. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, I am not. More. He is Sean. More hair. <laughs> yeah. Sean, more hair. All right, so let's uh, let's just spend a minute, just a minute or so, talking about GI Joe. Um, I'm as I've mentioned before, and I talked about this with Jason. Um, I'm a child of the '80s. I grew up watching GI Joe, Transformers, He Man, um, Voltron, mm-hmm. all that jazz. Uh, so this is very much, and then and then also I had uh, my father, his friends. They were all in the military, and so I grew mm-hmm. up with a very romanticized. Um, that's what I couldn't remember on Tuesday. Um, remember romanticized. Uh, vision of the military and so like the G. G. yeah yeah and so a, a you know gi joe was definitely a you know a fantasy version of what i imagined the military could be and i was very very fond of the show um so mm. you know when they were making these movies i was actually really looking forward to them we'll talk about what happened but i <laughs> but there was once hope david um <laughs> you asked to be on here you it sounds like you're pretty passionate about the uh, about the property what brings you to gi joe Actually, I'm not that passionate about the property. Like I, I grew up, you know, I'm a little younger than you, but you know, GI mm-hmm. Joe was on TV when I was a kid. It was a Saturday morning cartoon staple, but I don't recall mm-hmm. ever watching it. Like I remember Sergeant Slaughter, who was also a wrestler, and mm-hmm. that's about it for what I remember at the time from it. And everything <laughs> else is just, you know, the jokes through through time. You know, who wants a body massage? Mm-hmm. You know, like the, you know, they always Which eject challenges. after they. Yeah, they always eject you know, after the missile hits the airplane. You know, good news, kids. War's safe. <laughs> okay. What, the, what yeah. the fuck are you doing? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah. That, that, so, <laughs> so I don't really have 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 an attachment to to the property. But you know, this came out around the same time the first you know Bayformers movie came out, mm-hmm. and I just remember watching it on TV mm. like after the fact. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm actually kind of enjoying this. Okay. So, so you're in that so, small so, group uh, of GI Joe movie defenders. Yes, I will. I will defend the first movie. The the second movie, not so much, but the first movie. Really, from from the perspective of someone who is not has no real nostalgia for the property other than knowing it existed. Good. That'll be kind of fun to get your perspective then, because I think what what sinks the movie for the first one, The Rise of Cobra, for a lot of people was that it wasn't enough like the cartoon. Uh, how about you, Sean? Well, I mean, like a lot of Reagan babies, I I grew up in a time when the Gipper really kind of took the shackles off the commercialization of children's programming. And so I grew up with the same toyetic franchises that you all did. It was it was Thundercats, He-Man, Transformers, G.I. Joe, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, 
uh, all of the uh, yeah Voltron, all of the above. It's it didn't have to be good as long as it pushed overpriced plastic. Sure. As as long as it was exciting and bombastic and frenetic and boom and lots of blam blam kapow. <laughs> I mean that's all there is to it. Uh, and so I mean I kind of ha- I, I kind of had some nostalgic feels for the franchise. I thought, oh hey, a live action movie could be cool. And it, you mentioned it not being enough like the cartoon. I mean that's because the first draft of the script of the script leaked. Uh, fans summarily shat all over it. <laughs> and okay. so instead, they brought on uh, Larry Hama? Hama? Larry, you're, okay, how you pronounce it? I apologize if I mispronounce it. You're Larry Hama for the rest of the show. They brought, on, they brought on Larry Hama, one mm-hmm. of the creative forces behind the, I think it was IDW Comics? Okay. I, I think it was. Uh, and so what they ended up with was a retooled version that much more that was much more steeped in and resembled the lore and feel of the books in, instead of the animated series. So and I would be on the exact opposite page from David. I there were certainly things I could appreciate about the first movie, but I thought that retaliation was absolutely a marked improvement and huge step in the right direction. That's certainly the consensus. So let's get into these movies here. Uh, do a quick uh, plot synopsis for everyone in case you haven't seen these in a while. <laughs> All righty. Um, I always forget to mute the damn video. All right. In the near future, as opposed to the far future. Weapons Master James McCullen has created a nanotech-based weapon because that was big in the year that this was made, uh, which was 2009. Um, <laughs> nanomites designed to devour metal and other materials capable of destroying anything from tanks to cities. The nanobots can only be stopped by activating the kill switch. Dun, dun, dun. His company, Mars, mm-hmm, sells four warheads to NATO, and NATO troops led by American soldiers Duke and Ripcord as opposed to Steve and Bob, are asked to deliver the warheads. Their convoy is ambushed by the Baroness, the only person in Hollywood, the only per- character in this whole series Hollywood remembers. <laughs> like, hey, there was a girl bad guy. Put her in there. <laughs> Whom Duke recognizes to be his ex-fiance, Anna Lewis. Duke and Ripcord are rescued by Scarlet, Snake Eyes, Breaker, and Heavy Duty. They take the warheads to the pit, G.I. Joe's command center in Egypt, and upon arriving rendezvous with the head of the G.I. Joe team, General Hawk. Hawk takes command of the warheads and excuses Duke and Ripcord only to be convinced to let them join his group after Duke reveals he knows the Baroness. Because that's how that works. Um, McCullen is revealed to be using nanotechnology to build an army of soldiers with the aid of the Doctor. Dun, dun, dun. Doctor Who. Exactly. (laughs) Planning on using the warheads to cause worldwide panic and bring about the new world order. Using a tracking device, McCullen locates the G.I. Joe base and sends Storm Shadow and the Baroness to retrieve the warheads with assistance from Zartan. After a fight, uh, Storm Shadow and the Baroness retrieve the warheads and take them to Baron de (laughs) Cobre. Wow. Subtle. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, this was a working name. The original name was Barry Barrington. Um, <laughs> the Baron is his husband. Wasn't he the Flash? <laughs> Barry Allen. <laughs> um, for him to weaponize his fucking bear. Okay, he, he's the Flash of Stan Lee created him, all right? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, his particle accelerator, after he reluctantly does this, Decobray <sighs> is killed by Storm Shadow. Making their way to Paris, the Joes pursue the Baroness and Storm Shadow, but are unsuccessful in stopping them from launching one of the missiles. The missiles hits the Eiffel Tower, which depressed my daughter, by the way, who's a big you know fan of Paris, and releases Aww. the nanomites in it, destroying the tower and some of the surrounding area before Duke manages to hit the kill switch. However, in doing so, he is captured and taken to the McCullen's base under the Arctic, where they ran into the cast of the Fast and the Furious 7. Uh, Mark, just a correction. It's it's not their base. It's the Cobra underwater playset. <laughs> <laughs> um, McCullen, yeah, welcome to the Terror Dome. McCullen reveals to Duke that he is really working for Duke's old friend Rex, whom Duke thought was dead. The Joes locate the secret base and fly there, and McCullen loads the three remaining warheads onto three missiles, which are aimed for Beijing, Moscow, and Washington, D.C., the world's three most important capitals. All righty then. Gee, I wonder why people in America were pissed about this. He states that he intends to do this because by killing millions of people in these cities, he will strike fear into the hearts of every man, woman, and child on the planet, after which they will turn to the person with the most power in the world, the President of the United States. I like his childlike optimism. <laughs> <laughs> and Snake Eyes takes out one missile. After Snake Eyes takes out a missile, Ripcord destroys the remaining two by using a stolen Mars prototype Night Raven jet with pilot. Uh, Batteries not included. Thank you. <laughs> While Scarlet Breaker and Snake Eyes infiltrate the base. Snake Eyes duels and prevails over Storm Shadow. Duke learns that McCullen's uh, employer, the Doctor, is actually Rex Lewis and his brother, believed to have been killed by a mistimed airstrike during a mission led by Duke. Also the origin of the alienation between Duke and Anna. Rex had encountered Dr. Mindbender in the bunker and was seduced by the nanomite technology and driven to the dark side of the force. Um, uh, taking too long to retrieve the data and getting caught in the bombing, which disfigured him. After freeing Duke, the Baroness is subdued as the doctor reveals he has implanted her with nanomites without her consent. No means no, Dr. M Cobra Commander, which has put her under his control for the past four years. Attempting to kill Duke using a flamethrower, McCullen ends up being burned when Duke shoots the weapon and causes it to explode. So Rex and he flee to, escape, to an escape vessel. Duke and Barons pursue him while the Joes fall back after Rex activates the base's self-destruct sequence, which involves blowing the ice cap to create blocks of ice, which will then crush the Joes. Rex assumes the identity of... You do, you do know ice floats in water? <laughs> Apparently they don't. Having healed McCullen's burn face with nanomites, transforming his skin into a silver-like substance and naming him Destro, he then places Luke and Leia, never mind, which places McCullough under the commander's control. They are captured by G.I. Joe soon after on the supercarrier USS flag, which was bigger than most living rooms, by the way, as a toy. The Baroness is placed in protective custody until they can remove the nanomites from her body. Meanwhile, Zartan having had his physical appearance altered by the nanomites, infiltrates the White House during the missile crisis and assumes the identity of the President of the United States, 
thus completing a part of McCullum's plan to rule the world. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Sean. Of course. <laughs> Take it away, sir. Your thoughts on this movie. Uh I don't think it was Larry Hama that so much consulted on this as possibly maybe his maybe a five year old niece <laughs> or nephew. <laughs> you know, in all fairness, I I actually liked most of the action set pieces. Mm-hmm. I thought they were fairly well shot, and very much so compared to the Bay Formers. It was fairly easy to follow what was going on. They were fun to watch, even with the fucking NFL Super Pro looking suit and all their ridiculousness. Oh, I have I have things to say about that. Oh, by uh, Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> by all means, by all means. Uh, for me, what really held it back the most of all was a combination of not even necessarily the story because I thought there were the bones of a decent story here, but it was more so the casting, the performances and the dialogue that really did it for me. I I thought they, they really did a good job of highlighting some of the, the, the big ticket marquee GI Joe characters Mm-hmm. That uh, that longtime fans would pop the biggest nostalgia boner for, but the problem is they forgot to cast people who would actually be convincing in an action movie. Mm. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't buy, I don't buy Channing Tatum as 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 anything more than an underwear model doing army cosplay <laughs> and and really and really what did you expect you you cast the doofus from the notebook who has who has about all the personality all the care all the charisma all the likability of a family-sized jar of miracle whip <laughs> Uh, nor was I really feeling which Wayne's brother was it? Was it Marlon? Marlon's? Yeah. Marlon. Okay. Yeah. You, you got one of the lower tier Wayne's brothers. Good for you. Um, I, I, I've got, I've got no problem. I've got no beef with having Scarlet and Baroness present, but in terms of Scarlet in particular, you know, there are, women in Hollywood who are actually far more convincing in a kick-ass role like this, right? You, you know you can you know you can cast on more than just based on what she looks like in a light alluring sheet of sweat wearing a painted on jog bra. Right? Nice. You get you get that. Historically, Hollywood has occasionally managed to be able to do this. <laughs> Um, so there's that, there's the fact that half the movie feels like just one ham-fisted effort after another to, to wedge in cheeky little fan service lines. Like, oh, you got Kung Fu grip. I knew if you didn't bring knowing it up, I would the, have. Knowing is half, knowing is half the battle. Oh, if they didn't put that in, people would complain. Yeah, but it's how you do it. And shoehorning. The, the the specific you've got mm-hmm. kung fu grip line was. I was absolute, talking more about the knowing is half the battle line. That, yeah, well, I, the kung fu grip line was the one that was so obviously insulting to me. 
I frankly, I kind of dug the Brendan Fraser cameo. So, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give, I'll, I'll give, I'll give it that. Even I mean, Anne was watching it with me. Even she, even she kind of sat forward and kind of enjoyed that little sequence. Here's the problem: um, he should have been wearing like a sailor's cap and the the navy uniform, and he should have been shipwrecked. If you're just going to waste a character, not Flint. You know that would have been a good idea. I, I didn't even give that a, give that a thought. Yeah, that's an idea. Holy shit! What really, what really did it for me most of all, though? And after this, I, I promise I'll wrap this up and throw it to you and David. Is they really went way too far in the high tech direction? Yeah, I get it. It was two thousand nine. It was the proverbial onion on the belt, but sweet caramel coated fuck, you went too far. It, it, I get it. It's an action movie. You're going to have over the top set pieces, whatever. That's fine. But this really strayed into the absurd to the point where you had to depend on so much overpowering CGI and so little actual actual practical work that it just it just became distracting and obnoxious and it it it, it truly was a comic based movie but this would be an example of one of those times when man they really i think went the right way in the next movie by pulling it back a little bit and saying, "Oh, we're we're we're, we're going to keep some things from the source material, but we're going to kind of keep it and do it our own way. We're not just going to give you the carbon copy of thing you loved as a kid. Yeah, um, we're 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 going to make it kind of slightly more. I don't know if down to earth is even the right phrase to ever use to describe a GI Joe movie." But some, or or even or even restrained. But those mm -hmm. were the words that kept coming into my coming into my mind. Is is you managed to at least put it, it might have been a long leash, but you put somewhat of a leash on yourself, and I can kind of commend you for that much. So, David, what did you uh, think about? Well, you you liked it, and you're you're here to I guess kind of defend it. So, what's good about GI Joe: The Rise of Cobra? Okay, so a lot of this is going to be paraphrased from Movie Bob Chipman's original review. Okay. Uh, oh so, you know, credit where credit is due there. But yeah, as mentioned before, G.I. Joe and a lot of the shows at its time were primarily there to, you know, sell toys to children. They're basically 30 minute long toy commercials. And mm -hmm. as an adaptation, it is perfect in that. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like it is like it's a silly movie but not to the point of self-awareness. You know, and it's almost like the script and the action sequences were written by throwing a bucket of action figures at a group of 12-year-olds <laughs> and transcribing every single damn thing they did with them. And I mean that as the highest possible compliment. You know, you, you know what it, you know it kind of reminded me of? This thing that I saw on Facebook, this, this little meme, because I, I guess the cool thing is to, is to just really have a bad hate on for Kevin Smith's Masters of the Universe rep or revelation revelation yeah what whatever the fuck generic reboot title we're calling it um 
Yeah, you, you guys can use numbers, Hollywood. Like it's okay to call yeah. two or three. Yeah, we don't. By, it's, by it's okay. Anyway, yeah. anyway, um, you've got you've got your stereotypical blonde ankle biter who's standing there just like crying an ocean beneath himself and screaming at and screaming at this other kid. kid no, you're playing with them wrong. And you look over and it's it's Kevin Smith playing with a couple of He-Man fig He-Man figures in front of like i think it's like the castle grayskull play set and all he's doing is just standing going what i'm just having fun right <laughs> yeah yeah so so yeah so so getting back on track you're so yeah no it's fine mm -hmm. just give me a second mm -hmm. to get my get my place back here sure sure right yeah so <laughs> so if the camera were to pull back and show that all of these characters and vehicles are being maneuvered around by like star children with giant hands <laughs> and a sage voice booming over the action saying batteries not included. It would attain a metaphysical accuracy that would distort space and time. <laughs> you know, I, I, like this is a film of like about two semi-secret militaristic organizations mm -hmm. going at it with every single fighter jet, airplane, tank, mm -hmm. submarine, secret base, ninja, robot suit that $150 million can afford to throw on screen for an hour and a half. We got a literal Toy Story. Mm -hmm. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, is, is this Oscar-worthy filmmaking? No, absolutely not. Uh, as to how accurate it is to the source material, yeah, I don't know, not being an original fan, but, you know, the action sequences were fun and enjoyable. You know, the toys were cool. It was fun. Everyone had a wink and a smile. Like, it, it just worked. And, you know, like, there was enough plot and character stuff there to, to service the plot. You know, it's like, you know, I, I listened to the review of Snake Eyes, and it's just like, we didn't need... You know, a 90 minute, two hour movie explained the complicated back and forth, backstabby history behind, you know, Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow's rivalry. It's like Storm Shadow killed Snake Eyes master. He's angry about that. They fight each other <laughs> there. It's like, OK, Frank Duck's story, except, you know, other student kills master. Like, you know, anyone who has seen a movie about ninjas knows this story. Right. It, it's all it needs. You 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 killed my punchy kicky daddy. We do fighty now. You killed exactly. my ninja, but what a body! Um, yeah. A little bit of the Wu Tang Clan for you. <laughs> so here's um, here's my thing. Like I think uh, a rose by any other name, right? If you called this romanticized military action movie starring second rate Iron Man's, um, I think people don't hate it. It doesn't. I don't think it makes as much money, but I don't. But but I, I don't think it's remembered either fondly or negatively. It's just eh, this was a thing that I saw in the movies. It was fine. Um, it's, a little, it's a little bit of that Rob Zombie's Halloween thing. Yeah. The problem yeah. here is that it was GI Joe, and here's what I'm learning about my generation. And I don't know, like Sean's generation. Um, you know, if this is just getting every generation kind of goes through this. I know with mine. We've hung on so tightly to the stuff of our chill of our childhoods that if it's not exactly that, people throw the biggest man tantrums I've ever seen. And it's, it uh, doesn't matter if it's good or not. It's just not the thing that I remember and why I remember it. And so from from that perspective, because here's the thing about this movie. Um, it's yeah. dumb, it's not well written. <laughs> there, you know, you, you said the plot was easy enough to follow. Yeah, kind of. Um, I would say serviceable. Yeah. yeah, but like I said, 
I would not I would not spend time giving this a negative review um, as sort of an extracurricular thing if it were just generic just generic action movie. There's only shit tons of those. We don't spend a lot of time on them. Um, we're spending time on G.I. Joe because it's G.I. Joe. And what do you need for G.I. Joe? You need the characters from the show. That's what this was missing. Mm-hmm. And the characters mm-hmm. that you you assigned an, a, a name to. So let's Chatham Tatum, right? I'm not... I thought he was fine in generic military guy role. What he wasn't was Duke because Duke was the leader of GI Joe. It's a, it's a fine kind of nerdy point, but that's what people were looking for. You have, um, what's his nuts there? Uh, uh, the one who ends up becoming Cobra commander Rex, mm-hmm. uh, the actor's name. Shit. I'll look. Um, yeah, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Thank you. You have mm-hmm. Joseph Gordon. Was he really in the notebook? No, Joseph Gordon-Levitt wasn't. Channing Tatum was. He was? I thought it was What's-His-Nuts from God Only Knows or God Only Care. The one movie we, Reffin movie we did. Ryan Gosling? Wait, wait, no. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan Gosling's in The Notebook. Remember? We ruined The Notebook for everybody with that movie when he shoved his hand into the woman. Remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, when you referenced it, I'm like, who's he talking about? Yeah, wait, no. Um, was, wait, no, 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 no. There, there, was, a, there was another horrendous... Another horrendous chick flick that Channing Tatum was in. I'm sure there was what a bunch. Thinking keep of? thinking. I'm going to keep going with my, my, my thoughts here. So um, here's the thing. You have Joseph Gordon-Levitt as not Cobra Commander, and then you have Channing Tatum as not Duke. You're already off to a bad start with this. Because <laughs> if, if you're – because who are you marketing this to? You know, you know a, a later generation that doesn't necessarily romantic, romanticize the military the way we did growing up in the 80s because that's a big cultural difference. Kids growing up, if you kids growing up in the '90s, were not the same kind of kids growing up in the '80s. I mean, we're all kids; we all romanticize stuff, but it was different exposures. It was a different culture from di- from one decade to the next. I mean, I would tell you the kids of 2000 were nothing like the kids of the '80s in that respect, and in these very fine granular points. So again, you make a movie in 2009 mm-hmm. that's supposed to be a, a romanticized version of a fantasy military for who? Because if it's kids in 2009, they're not into this shit. They're into like Pokemon and ninjas. And we have one ninja, but they're into they're into whole other shit, right? And if I, you're looking- I have a theory about that. Okay, because it was a vibe that I got. It, it was a very different vibe that I got between the two movies, and, and just kind of on a hunch, I went and looked at the release dates. Mm-hmm. confirm it and the thing that you got to remember and i say this despite what i read in comments from the producers in the production notes is people is they tried to get a gi joe movie made for a long time mm-hmm. uh, first try was they tried in 1994 and instead warner brothers pivoted and decided no we're more interested in making a mortal Kombat movie Makes okay. sense. Fair. Uh, the next time they tried to do it was in the mid-2000s, a few years before this. However, what they acknowledged was, oh, sh- was, oh shit, Tex just sent us to war in Iraq. President it George W. Be, Bush. It could be, it could be an epically bad idea to put out a gi joe movie right now Mm -hmm. so instead they made transformers 
They pivoted from one toyetic franchise with a movie centered on advanced technological warfare to another movie that had a lot of military sequences in the desert focused on events. Never mind. Moving on. Um, and then finally, all the right pieces fell into place, and they ended up making this one. But also, because is... Transformers made shit tons of money, so they were like, all the Hasbro things now. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, my theory is, if you look at this movie, and you look at the tone of it, especially with the fact that they really went out of their way to, to highlight the destruction of, of France... Uh, of of the Eiffel Tower. You're, yeah, was, you're, get, you're getting to yeah. a point that I was going to get to, which was the. I mean, in Hollywood movies, of, they are one and the same. Yeah, the, this, this is the internationalization of this movie, which misses yeah. the fucking point of anyone who was a fan of this thing from a child. Which, again, you can make your international NATO movie, and it'll find an audience. You don't do it with GI Joe, a thing that is beloved by Americans for Americans, and doesn't right, really translate right. well anywhere, anywhere else. Right. And and the thing is, I think that's one of the one of the many more areas where it really fell flat on its face mm-hmm. was the fact that I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going to tinfoil this a little bit. I could be I could be wrong in seeing connections that aren't really that aren't really there. And if I am, I am. If I'm not. I'm not fine. Um, but, you know, with that there, it just it has the feel of very much a a late w era movie with all the romanticization of the military american military gonna save gonna save everybody and everyone it's, all it, over god's all well over hang on god's it's important Earth. to put that in context because i don't know when this movie went into development but if it went into development in, in the wake of the initial iraq and uh, afghanistan and iraq invasions but mm-hmm. doesn't come out until 2009 the window in which everyone was on board for uh, <laughs> for it, it had already passed. Point point of order, but it came out in two thousand eight. Okay, and it and it was and it was really developed between about two thousand six and two thousand eight. Right, but the point so, still stands. The window was slammed shut by that point. Like no, we, I by the end of W, we were well done with him, the war, the Middle East, oil. If we could have been <laughs> all of it. No, I, I get it, but mm-hmm. what kind of really drove that home for me? was the fact that I then watched Retaliation mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you're you're getting a lot of real subtle uh, kind of GOP colored digs mm-hmm. that that are entire that are entirely on the villainous side. You know, he he's the one who made you know it's um Zartan who makes the Fox News quip yeah um he's the one who he's the one who wants to bomb everybody mm-hmm. in to, in order to kind of enforce world peace with america at the commanding center of all of it keeping every keeping everybody in line right so that one kind of and again tinfoil it it, it kind of feels it kind of feels a lot more reactionary like kind of taking it i'm sure the whole thing was reactionary considering yeah, take, everyone hated the first one yeah, and a, yeah, you know take, reactionary in a lot of ways well ah, ha, ha. but i mean just but i mean just in terms of kind of taking these sort of admittedly past due subtle pot shots 
mm-hmm. at at conservative politics. So the point that um, I was I was wanting to get to earlier was your two beloved um, your two beloved leader characters in Duke and Cobra Commander are not well represented. One of them, mm-hmm. everyone was convinced was Doctor Mindbender until they revealed it was Cobra Commander, and everyone was like, "What the fuck? That's mm-hmm. not Cobra Commander." And it's like you know, hearing myself say that. Another version of me is like, who cares as long as they tell a good story? Well, it depends. And, and, and this will be the last point, so we just we can move on here. The biggest problem with the rise of Cobra is that it doesn't know who it's it, it doesn't know who it's what it what it wants for an audience. Does it want children of which have no frame of reference and maybe not might be into this sort of thing? And so there's a lot of it that appeals to them. You know, you made fun of like the Iron Man suits or whatever. That was definitely like a studio note. I'm sure like we got to get mech suits in there. That's popular now. And that's what, and that's kind of what this feels like. It was, you know, Robert and I, uh, Robert Winfrey and I always make the joke about studio notes, the movie. This feel, (laughs) there's an idea here that's worth um, fleshing out, but the, but it gets overwrought with a lot of studio note stuff of this is cool. Put that in there and people like this and put that in there. And we want this to be global and sell it to China. So don't make them real American heroes, make them NATO. And you miss the kids of that era because they don't really care. You miss my generation because this isn't the GI Joe I grew up with. And so all that's left is that sliver of people who like really cool action movies and how many of them, are, you know, and then you have to tell them a compelling story, which it's fine, but it's not, you know, that the biggest problem with this above all else was that it wasn't the most compelling of stories. It was, you know, we have to stop the bad guys from doing a thing like, okie dokie. Now, well, do you have, do you have really compelling characters? No, not really. Do you have really great actors in this? You have Channing Tatum. And Dennis Quaid, who who gets you know yeah. taken out halfway through, um, and then you put lips on Snake Eyes, done. So <laughs> I didn't even notice that until somebody pointed it out. I'm like, oh my god, they put lips on right. Snake Eyes. Uh, the one thing, and I think to, to David's point, the one thing they did get right, and then we'll move on to, to the next movie here, is if I'm remembering this one correctly versus the other one, there were a lot of odes to the vehicles, right, Dave? There, there's a lot of like, if I remember correctly, they they went out of their way to put a lot of the old vehicles in the shots, so at least you could see like the Cobra Hiss tanks, and you know you saw the you saw the plane that you could buy. They got the helicarrier, the um, the aircraft carrier in there. You made the joke about the Terror Dome. That's all in the movie, and at least that much they got right. Am I correct, Dave? I think so. I don't remember much of the GI Joe toys, but it's mm-hmm. just that sort of feeling, right? You know, oh, here's the mini subs. Here's the big sub. Here's the mm-hmm. underwater base. Here's the super cool fighter jet. Put one last thing, you know, and this, this goes to costuming. Again, it kind of looks a little too much like generic military movie and not the colorful costumes of GI Joe, which look, which look kind of silly in real life. But think about that compared to the Transformers. Optimus Prime looks like Optimus Prime. Bumblebee looks like Bumblebee, at least, you know, mm-hmm. when he's in robot form. Um, you know, the other robots hither and thither, you know, not so much Megatron, especially a lot of the Decepticons, couldn't tell them apart. But the big ones that people cared about were very colorful and distinctive and look like their cartoon counterparts, which which is a big deal to people. I don't know, you know, why why it has to be or why it should be, but it is, and that's just something that that's a fact. Whereas it's be hard to do that with G.I. Joe to have like a standard like group of guys, but one's in a snow outfit, one's in a fire guy outfit, one's in a navy, you know, uh, navy sail um, sailor outfit. 
And you know, it's like I get it. We're like, how do you costume those people and not make them look silly? But shit, that's what we wanted. So go for silly next time. I, we we want to see a guy with a with, with the marine tattoo and his vest on <laughs> the whole nine <laughs> yards. <laughs> All right. With that said, let's take a brief moment here to talk about Grammarly. Grammarly's AI powered products help people communicate more effectively. Um, Grammarly helps you write mistake for you on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. All righty. G.I. Joe retaliation. Um, after uh, the uh, first one here, the Rise of Cobra had a $175 million budget, only made 302, not exactly a profitable venture. So while this is an actual sequel to the first movie, um, they basically <laughs> kill Channing Tatum, don't bring anybody else back, and do the whole thing, and do the Transformers, the cartoon movie bit, where they just wipe out the first toy line. And they bring on some new people. So this one they got in, you know, the guy who had a reputation at the time for being like franchise Viagra, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. They brought in Bruce Willis. They brought in uh, some, they brought back Ray Park for Snake Eyes because how do you kill him off? And they tried to, uh, you know, they really tried to listen to the fans on this one and do a movie that was a little bit closer to what the fans of the franchise want. Might have been a little too little too late, but uh, we'll get into it. So, the plot is uh, mute this time. The plot is as follows: Duke leads the GI Joe team to North Korea to find a North Korean defector. Later, Zartan impersonating the president frames GI Joe for stealing nuclear warheads from Pakistan after the death of its president during a civil war, and subsequently eliminates GI Joe, which kills Duke and the other Joes using a military airstrike. Heavy machine gunner Roadblock, yeah. Rookie sniper Flint. And counterintelligence officer Lady J, played by the adorable yet struggling to actually act Adrian Palicki, survived the uh, attack by diving into a well. And they return to the United States and find the G original G.I. Joe General Joseph Colton, who provides them with weapons in a scene straight out of Pulp Fiction. Uh, meanwhile, Storm Shadow, who survived the Arctic base's destruction from the first movie, and demolitions expert Firefly rescue Cobra Commander from an underground maximum security prison in Germany, leaving Destro behind. Storm Shadow retreats to a temple in the Himalayas to recover after he was injured. The Blind Master, because he ain't nothing to fuck with, leader of the Arishkagi clan, sends Snake Eyes and his apprentice Jinx to capture Storm Shadow, allowing him to answer the murder for his uncle, the Hard Master. After Zartan... Uh... Uh, after Zartan announces that Cobra will become the premier U.S. Special Forces team, replacing G.I. Joe, Lady J deduces that someone is impersonating the president and steals a sample of the president's DNA and confirms that he is, in fact, Zartan. They escape after a confrontation with Firefly and Xandar, and the head of the U.S. Secret Service's presidential detail and a member of Cobra. Colton leads the Joes to infiltrate a fundraising event where the president attends it. Uh, Snake Eyes and Jinx locate and capture Storm Shadow after a battle with some ninjas loyal to Storm Shadow and take him back to Japan, where Storm Shadow proclaims that he did not kill the Hard Master and proves it by fighting Snake Eyes with a weapon that did kill the Hard Master, which breaks, which breaks. Knowing that Arishkagi steel does not break, 
the blind master deduces that Zartan was the one that murdered the hard master and framed Storm Shadow for it, who joined Cobra to bring it down from the inside. With him cleared of murder, Storm Shadow then accompanies Snake Eyes and Jinx as they join the Joe's effort to stop Cobra and avenge the hard master. Uh, Zartan invites the world leaders to a summit at the historic Ford Sumter, where he blackmails them into disabling the awesome part of the movie, blackmails them into disabling their nuclear arsenal and reveals that he has created Project Zeus, seven orbital kinetic bombardment weapons of mass destruction at his command. Destroy central London to prove his superiority and threatens to destroy the capitals of the countries do not submit to Cobra. Storm Shadow betrays Cobra Commander and starts a fight, revealing Cobra's deception to the world leaders. Colton kills Xandar and rescues the real president with Lady J, while Storm Shadow kills Zartan. While Snake Eyes, Jinx, and Flint fight Cobra soldiers, Cobra Commander activates the remaining six weapons and instructs Firefly to protect the launch device and escapes in onto the helicopter. Roadblock and Firefly fight, but Roadblock is able to deactivate and destroy the orbital weapons as well as kill Firefly. Storm Shadow leaves after, uh, after avenging his uncle. At the White House uh, ceremony, the pr real president addresses the nation and commemorates the Joes who were awarded by Colton. Roadblock, Jinx, Flint, Snake Eyes, and Lady J. Colton presents Roadblock with an M1911 pistol. I'm sure I just massacred that. That belonged to General George S. Patton to use it to find Cobra Commander. Road Roadblock proudly raises the weapon and fires a single shot in honor of his fallen comrades, vowing to avenge them. All righty. So this thing was uh, shot on a budget of 130 to 155 million, a little less than its predecessor, and made a little bit more, but not significantly more. And then they just abandoned this altogether because it's, it is hard to get a decent G.I. Joe movie made in the 21st century. All right, Dave, you start us off here. Um, you do not love this one, not as much as you like the first one. Why is that? Uh, maybe I think it got a little more serious. Mm -hmm. And then the first one, whereas I kind of liked sort of the outlandishness of the first one. Again, it, it, it went right up to the line, but never crossed it. Mm -hmm. But this one, I was I was actually looking forward to this one, whereas the first one, I had no no preconceptions going in because yeah, I was like, oh, Cobra Commander looks like Cobra, Cobra Commander now. You know, right. that's, you know, like Snake Eyes doesn't have the lips anymore. So right. they're listening to the fans and actually doing what the fans want, unlike Transformers 2, where... You know, it was, you know, we're listening to the fans. We're going to make it better. And then they made it, oh, 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 so much worse. <laughs> I like Devastator's balls. <laughs> Despite any of the construction machinery used to make him not having any wrecking balls on him. <laughs> I'm always up for a good dick joke. You were saying, sir. <laughs> well, I, 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 I debate the, the use of the word good in that sentence, but uh, okay. Um, yeah, like I just thought it, it was kind of a bit too different from the original and mm -hmm. uh, like the, the plot was even more overly convoluted. I didn't really understand why they had to retcon Storm Shadow is now a good guy and he was just misunderstood. I mean, granted, <laughs> they're doing that before Disney made it cool. So, uh, so it's just you know, like, what, what's wrong with just he killed my master? I want to kill him like that. That's fine. It's an excuse for ninjas to just, you know, ninja. I want to say. In later years, they actually had Storm Shadow teaming up with G.I. Joe as kind of like an anti-hero character. So okay, I think it was a, a, some of an ode to that. Sure. Again, yeah, I I don't have any background knowledge with the mm -hmm. show, as I mentioned. So I'm just you know looking at it as, as its own thing. I mean, I was sure. happy that it got a sequel. Again, I, I thought I, I liked the first movie, so more is good. They, they had the cliffhanger of you know Zartan being the president. So you know, where's that going to go? And 
and to their credit, they did resolve that. And then you get just get into they blew up London at the end. It just kind of went, it kind of went serious, but then also sort of went off the rails. And I, you know, there, there wasn't really anything sort of solid to latch onto. I found in in the second film, it just a bunch of stuff happened, and now GI Joe's back. Okay, <laughs> I um so. Slightly different take than than yours. I like the second one more than the first one because it got serious. There felt like there were stakes involved. I like the idea of you know the GI Joe is discredited and has to you know and you know I understand you so often don't see like main characters getting blown away in the first act of anything. So it was kind of nice to see that. Um, even though it was sort of a, it was sort of a way of distancing themselves from the first movie. It doesn't really matter. It was nice to actually see something happen in a movie that does matter and provide some stakes and some tension. So it'd be nice yeah, if Killing Duke had the same response as like Killing Destro did in the Community episode. <laughs> um, He's actually dead. So, this has never happened before. What do we do? So, I mean, he's he's right there on the poster, Channing Tatum. And so, like, you expect him to be in the whole movie, and he's not, you know. Um, and so, the idea of like uh, the Rock and these lesser actors having to sneak back into the country, you know, prove their innocence, save the day. I mean, these are classic uh, action movie tropes, but I think. They actually executed this well. Um, I I think, you know, most people, like I said, tend to enjoy this movie more than the first one. But I'm also wondering if by the time that this came out, it was like the bloom was so far off the rose that people just stopped caring. And so, so people who wanted to see it saw it. But this wasn't going to capture the world's imagination the way that I think people at Paramount wanted it to, no matter how good it was. Like, this could even be better than we're saying it is, and I'm not entirely sure it would have made any more money. But um, just just kind of walk through some of the craft elements here, and then I'll turn it over to Sean. Um, the, the action in the first one is more bombastic and more colorful than in the second one. The second one's a little bit more subdued. Um, I don't know. Subdued, that's the word. Yeah, I, um, yeah. I kind of... I thinking about it and saying it out loud, I kind of wish they took the action set pieces from the first one with the plot and the tension and the stakes from the second one and kind of mash them together. And then I think you have one decent movie, one really, really good movie. Um, I said, you know, Adrian Palicki, uh, who I believe was on the Orville, is a much better actress than she, she shows here. Um, and it's so funny because she's got such an uneven career. She's the one with the failed Wonder Woman pilot. So it's like, I don't know if... if but she was also on Friday Night Lights. Yeah, and so like I said, like so. she has this very like uneven career where things, some things she does, she's great in. And other things she does, complete strikeout. Like, not a lot of middle ground there. And then I couldn't tell you who the hell else is in this movie. So yeah. uh, what's his face from the Wu-Tang Clan as the blind master? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, very, very talented musician, I'm told. But as an actor, he's a very talented musician. Well, I will be the first one to tell you that the Wu-Tang Wu Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. But I'm not come entirely on. sure why he's in this movie. Oh, come on. The, the RZA as blind martial <laughs> arts master. How are you going to tell me this isn't the role he was born to play? You know, Have you seen the movie? That's, that's such a fan service. Well, that's such a fan service thing to do. And on the one hand, I love it for that reason. Like, it's such a, like, oh my God, you know who we should get? Like, like, like they're joking and the joke just got out of control, <laughs> you know, but he can't act for shit, but he's so hilarious in that role. I don't care. 
Um, you know, and it's also like a minor they didn't role. Ca- they, did, they didn't cast him for his act for his no. acting. No, of course not. Clearly didn't. Um, as far as, far as the the Snake Eye Storm Shadow stuff goes, like I said, if you're a huge fan of the show. It was cool to see them fight together. That's what people wanted. You know, the first mm-hmm. they wanted to fight each other, then they wanted to fight together. Mm-hmm. All right, Sean, go ahead and uh, finish us up here. You know what? To be perfectly honest, there was plenty that I liked about this movie, and really nothing significant that I didn't like. The action scenes at least felt virtually right down the line, at least physically plausible, because Mm -hmm. they weren't laden with just one layer after another, after another, after another of far-flung technology. Like, I remember the sequence in the first one where you have the hologram column of hologram call on the plane and then you cut to where you you think for some reason that uh mccullen destro is talking to somebody from like his like his own private plane and then he's on a hologram call with you know at least one or two technology one or two people and then you and then you pan out and he's on a submarine that's bound for rapture and just it's it's incessant it's insistent with all with all the showy cgi and this might have this movie was yeah it was loud it was exciting it had elaborate set pieces but once more in each of those set pieces you could clearly tell what the fuck was going on uh it wasn't it wasn't so over the top with the uh, with the technology that it just took you right out of it i thought the way that you know if you're going to transition to a whole new class of heroes and you're going to really reboot things with a new set of characters to focus on this is the way you do it number one you do it right off the bat Number two, you have the lead from your previous movie actually die an honorable, respectful death on screen in a way that number three actually advances the plot and advances that transition to these new focal characters and really allows Roadblock, Dwayne Johnson, to really to really take the spotlight. It's it's a kind of it's a kind of honor that Sienna Miller and Marlon and Marlon Wayans and Heavy Duty and Breaker didn't really get that Hawk didn't really get. So I really I really admired that part. Jonathan Price as as, as the president slash Zartan just glorious. Loved every single scene he was in. Yeah, he's hilarious. Yeah, um, I Walter Walter Goggins just never meant just never met a piece of scenery he wouldn't chew, <laughs> and and that entire prison sequence is no exception whatsoever. Um, it it really gave I felt a fairly satisfying resolution, except that I could have maybe done with a little bit of a cliffhanger of some kind. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, it just ends with ends with okay, go forth and go go forth and go chase down Cobra Commander, but with no sense of what he's got planned. Right next, it it really felt like this should have been movie, like 
looking at plans of like the weather uh what was it the weather dominator or something yeah yeah it felt like this almost tied up too many loose ends yeah for its for its own good if they wanted to continue with it uh little fun fact instead of bruce willis we almost got sergeant slaughter if, oh really if if the good sarge is to be believed which you know anything that comes out of the word hole of an 80s era professional wrestler always heap on the stalls uh but he claims that the original idea was for him to for his character to kind of be in the joe colton role mm. uh in such that he was kind of going to be this coming out of retirement for one last job mentor figure but and, and it, it's almost funny to read his interview because he almost acts like and just for some reason they decided to go with bruce willis don't ask me uh, but speaking of that that's kind of the last really noteworthy thing that's stuck in my mind the entire time is to bring it back to what I mentioned at the start, it feels like this time this cast was filled out with people who could convincingly carry an action movie mm -hmm. and who would really allow me to suspend my disbelief. Because look, that's it's one thing to kind of cast against type, so to speak, mm -hmm. if you have a movie with a conceit that allows for it, that has some kind of hook or some kind of premise that will allow you to suspend your disbelief like the matrix is set entirely in the digital world so you know that there are no physical limitations so you can kind of look past the fact that you don't look at necessarily at keanu reeves or carrie ann moss or even hugo weaving and instantly think could absolutely kick all 31 flavors of ass with okay. their eyes closed uh you're talking about the marvel movies okay well the whole thing about marvel has always has always been ordinary people all of a sudden having extraordinary powers bestowed upon them and doing heroic things so it's almost an advantage if you have an everyman that you can look at because it allows you to get a little more into understanding that they that themselves as they were their former selves they just wouldn't belong in this world they wouldn't know what they wouldn't know what to do but they've been transformed so there's no problem with having someone as kind of non-threatening as a robert downey jr or a benedict cumberbatch or a tom holland but for something like this for a military for a military action thrill ride yeah you're better served having someone who's a little raw around the shoulders someone who's a little more who can bring a little more of a grizzled presence like a dwayne johnson and a bruce willis and if you got to have someone like flint it's good that you're kind of casting someone who maybe looks a little bit out of place like like who looks a little like looks a little bit kind of too green for all of this and like at any moment they're just they could very well just kind of be overwhelmed by everything and the same thing with lady j so to speak um hell i i loved i loved the fight sequence between ray stevenson and dwayne and dwayne johnson absolutely fuck yeah um the the cliff fight sequence yeah was, that's some really good action set piece oh that was that was brilliant that may be one of the better action set pieces i've seen recently in any movie past or present and 
but it but again nothing ever really visually took me out of the experience i was able to just kind of fall into it because it all looked if not believable like i said at least physically plausible you know it, i i wasn't i wasn't watching nfl super pro parkouring around the street the streets of paris paris while the great muda's green mist tore down the i tore down the eiffel tower you know i i wasn't watching the ninth doctor submarining and submarining into rapture none of that you know if, if anything it was more like a really amped up overly caffeinated tom clancy thriller or like a novelization or like a, an adaptation of a vince flynn novel something something like that and i i found it endlessly satisfying to take kind of the foundation of that world and kind of go their own way with it and do something that's modernized and, a, and yeah a little more subdued like you like you said that still felt a little bit more believable all right um dave anything else you want to add before we close out for the night uh yeah, so I think with myself, it's I think I like more the excess of the first one, where it sort of it has that spirit of the toy commercial, right? Where like mm -hmm. look at all this cool stuff doing cool stuff, <laughs> you know? Like I, whereas if it's more just like, hey, here's army guys doing army stuff, it's like, well, I already have other movies that do that, you know? Like right. if, if I if I want a grounded, grisly film about the realist realism of boots on the ground, I can watch Black Hawk Down. <laughs> Yeah, I I think my, I think which, which is not to say it's a terrible movie like GI Joe too. It's just you know I I mm -hmm. I was in the mood for not realistic but also grounded enough to be to, to work. Like it's not it's like they're flying around like Superman. Yeah, yeah. I was like okay, we've got robot suits that let us run super fast and you know do hyper parkour. It's like okay, sure, and we're <laughs> chasing down you know like super powered SUVs with nanites that eat metal and stuff like okay sure why not it's a movie like i'm i'm, I'm okay with that i think after I, that I also, these two movies I, I also just appreciated that the second one didn't get on my nerves by making me feel like it was trying to make me laugh and be overly clever with every single fucking line true yeah I, the one-liners in the first film yeah <laughs> that's that's the problem i think the look of the first one the aesthetic the motif works but nothing else does I think the story, the acting um, works well in the second one. And so I think upon examining for the two movies together and kind of coming to a final conclusion, the final conclusion is you have half of a good movie in the first one and half of a good movie in the second one. And if you had combined them, you'd have had the perfect G.I. Joe movie and just fucking stop after that. <laughs> just walk away from this thing. Go make Mask. Go make Rom the Space Knight. We love robots. We God, love them. Mask. I haven't thought of that in a while. It, there it has a theme song. There was at one point a plan for a like a Hasbro cinematic universe that was yes. supposed to be Transformers, G.I. Joe, Mask, and Rom the Space Knight, and maybe another one, but I it, off the top of my head, I don't remember it. And so that's that's my only point with that. And I don't want to go to for another hour <laughs> sort of planning. Where's my thing. where's my fucking Silverhawks movie? Uh, somewhere in development hell, along with Thundercats. 
All right, folks, that's that's our wrap up of our G.I. Joe film series, Long Road to Ruin. Um, I just want to remind you again of a great sponsor that we have, which is AmazonMusic.com. Uh, AmazonMusic.com is giving away a free 30 days of the Amazon Music streaming service. Click on the link in the description, sign up for the service. Uh, if you like it, keep it. Uh, there's no contracts, no fuss on us if you want to cancel. If not, uh, pay the monthly fee like you do with, uh, which is comparable to Spotify or Apple Music. And it's great. You know, everything that I've ever needed to find on Amazon Music, I have found. We play with it all the time on Metal Hammer of Doom. So uh, give it a link, check it out. Uh, take your free 30 days on us. It helps us out, helps the podcast. So we greatly appreciate you um, checking out any of our great sponsors here on the show. Uh, real quick, I just want to remind everyone that uh, this coming week, we've got a couple of different movie reviews. Uh, Suicide Squad uh, is out this weekend. We'll do a review on that. Um, just now, like within the last day, Ronnie Adams hit me up all secret like and was like the green knight and i was like okay sure so we're gonna jam that in there <laughs> as well <laughs> um check out uh this past week we were focusing on disney and disney theme parks turned into stuff so um check out our seekers of the weird show which was a non-realized theme park attraction that was turned into a comic book uh sean and i reviewed the country bears which was based on the Country Bears Jamboree, and then, of course, Jungle Cruise and Tomorrowland. Uh, so those are all up in the archives as we speak. David uh, has finally finished his Star Trek retrospective. That'll be up at some point. Uh, you can check that out this time. We'll be, it's me, him, and Robert focusing on the Kelvin timeline, the, Kel the three Kelvin movies. David, you got anything else you want to plug? Uh, not at this time. I'm scheduled to be on for the Suicide Squad, and I think I'm also on for Loki and Food Wars this month. But uh, yeah, other than that, that's that's me taking care of for now. All righty. Sean, take me home, baby doll. Twitter.com slash Comer Codex for all, my, for all my various and sundry rantings. Fair warning, things have gotten very opinionated and political over there lately. Twitch.tv slash Comer Codex if you just want to watch me having fun playing video games. And in just I would say just a matter of less than a week. Uh, please stay tuned to the Rodlichen Broadcast Network and W2Mnet because I am going to be joining Jesse Starcher over on Source Material to review JLA Titans, The Technus Imperative. Woo! And that'll be dropping, in theory, the same day as the first episode of Titans Season 3 because everything is all synchronous and stuff. Mm -hmm. All right, folks, thanks for joining us here on The Long Road to Ruin. Uh, the next Long Road to Ruin will be at the end of the month. It'll be for Candyman. That'll be myself and Sean, I believe, looking at the first of the three Candyman movies uh, right before the reboot uh, hits theaters. So look for that. Until then, I'm Mark Radulich. He's Sean Comer. That's not Sean Comer over there. That's, in fact, David Wright. Be well, yep. be safe, and behave.